Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's your Cleveland Guardians 3, the Oakland A's 2 in 10 innings. I'm David Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I'm still on vacation, still on the road, so the audio quality has not improved. But we're getting through these games, we're getting through these episodes, and I'm having a great vacation. So I love getting up in the morning uh, before the family's awake, jumping up. Uh, I actually sit in the car as my recording booth and uh, talk to you about these episodes. So let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines of the game. And I, I usually save the emails for the end, but I got to be honest, Marlon kind of uh, hit the nail on the head tonight. Uh, tonight's game was very similar, he said, to Saturday night's game versus Arizona, in which they let the A's off the hook and couldn't capitalize on their opportunities. The offense had runners in scoring position with two outs multiple times, but couldn't come up with any timely hits with the exception of the seventh inning. The key difference is Arizona is much better than Oakland. That's why they won tonight, but lost on Saturday. You know what? Like I said, I usually save the emails for the end, but Marlon really, really, that's it. I mean, that's the storyline of this game. The Guardians with five doubles in the game, five, including a leadoff double by Stephen Kwan to start the game. And they, uh, Brennan had a two out double. Um, yeah, and they just, uh, they could not come up with the big hit until late, until late. They finally started to put rallies together late. And, you know, I don't want to keep harping on, uh, I promise, I will not keep harping on Jeff with a J, Jeff from Palo Alto, uh, and his emails. But, you know, this is, you know, this is the kind of game he's talking about. Plenty of extra base hits here. Five extra base hits. Guys getting on base. A decent on base percentage for the game. And yet... They just couldn't come up with a big hit until the seventh inning to complete those rallies. So I'm not even looking for the home runs, Jeff. I I don't care about the home runs. I will take five doubles in a game. I'm just looking for that hit that finishes the rally or at least gets that guy across, right? Uh, You know, a productive productive out to get that guy across. Uh, You know, top of the first inning is the perfect example here. How many times have we seen Ahmed Rosario ground out to shortstop? Usually it's with Stephen Kwan on first base, and it turns into a ground out double play. It happens way too often. And I know we all have our problems with Ahmed Rosario still hitting second on this team. Even though we had plenty of hits in this game, uh, it's nice on a night when Ahmed Rosario uh, is actually hitting the ball. But in the first inning, he has an unproductive out. It strands. It holds Stephen Kwan at second base. He can't advance. The ball is in front of him. It's the rule. You don't go when the ball's in front of you uh, from second base. So he grounds out to shortstop. Quan can't advance. Then Ramirez with a line out. You know, it's a decent, let's see what the uh, exit velocity was on that line out and the expected batting average. Uh, It was only 83 mile power line. I only had a 170 expected batting average. All right. But if he is on third base, if Rosario can ground out to second base instead of short and he's on third, then maybe he can tag up and score. He doesn't tag up from second and go to third. And then Naylor strikes out looking. So, uh, you know, they strand Stephen Kwan there. Um, yeah, it's rough stuff. Uh, they were putting it in play. They were putting it in play a lot, right? You know, Rosario and Ramirez put the ball in play. After Brennan doubles in the second, Miles Straw puts the ball in play. So I can't blame him there. Straw's only had an expected batting average of 0 But, you know, they were putting it in play. They, Except for Naylor there, they weren't striking out. Um, man, they get... Uh, 
back-to-back singles in the third, and then Naylor pops out. It's just, where was that big hit? Where was that hit that they needed? Well, the hit was in the second inning. Now, luckily, luckily, Savali pitched well, and Oakland's offense kind of has the same problems, right? So uh, we go uh, to, I believe it was two for 12 with runners in scoring position. Yes, it was. 13 men left on base. The Athletics, they only have six hits. Um, they draw three walks. They go 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position, and they leave eight on base. So their offense, not much better than us on this evening. They are able to scratch across a run in the third. They get a first and third situation, and uh, a ground ball at first base, less than two outs, and a ground ball at first base brings that first run in. And then Tony Kemp gets a solo home run off of Savali. Frankly, it wasn't, I mean, the curveball was down. Tony Kemp, I mean, went down and golfed this thing. Uh, it looked like, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes on the replays. It looked like Bo Naylor was set up for an outside curveball, and Savali left that on the inside corner, something that Kemp can pull. You know, you never know. If that pitch does make it to the outside corner, is that a big enough difference there that Kemp maybe grounds that thing out to a shortstop or something like that? We'll never know, but that's the location they were aiming for, and oftentimes when you see a home run, look at where the catcher was set up. Chances are that pitch isn't going to where the catcher was set up, and that mistake will cost you. Uh, so they make it 2 nothing. Then in the seventh inning, the Guardians finally do get that big hit, right? They finally get it. Miles Straw, in fact, this is just a hustle inning here. Uh, this is an absolute hustle inning. It's all done by Miles Straw's speed. A leadoff double to start. Frankly, 95% of hitters, this is just a single uh, in the left center field. Uh, you know, he kind of uh, he hits it hard, 96.2. Uh, you know, a nice line shot, 10-degree launch angle. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of guys are not fast enough to turn this into a double. And this is the Jose Ramirez school of base running, right? I, you know Strong Ramirez are buddies. This is a Jose Ramirez-style base running double where you're just out of the box, straight out of the box going, nah, I'm taking two. And that's, I love that. I love the hustle. Um, and then uh, after a bow nailer strikeout, yeah, we're still waiting on bow nailers first major league hit. I know it's be patient with them. Stay patient with them. There, there is, there are hits in there. There are big hits in there. He just has to, you know, get that first one. You know, we talk about it all the time, like wiping that zero away in the game and getting that first run on the board is such a huge first step. Man, as soon as Bo Naylor gets that first major league hit, it is going to be like such a load off. It, it, I, I can't wait to see where it goes from there because that will be such that that's that step. You got to wipe away that zero in the hit column, get a number into that batting average and uh, get things going for Bo Naylor. Um but he strikes out. Quan would fly out. It brings up Ahmed Rosario with two outs. They came close in the seventh inning to stranding another one of these leadoff doubles, stranding another one of these doubles at second base. Ahmed Rosario this time finds the hole, though. Uh, and it's it's one of those bat bit things, right, where in the first inning, I mean, in the first inning, he grounds out to shortstop. He hits it at 101.5 at a minus 16-degree launch angle. Um and uh, grounds out, right? In the seventh inning, he hits it at 95.3 at a minus 14-degree launch angle. 
but this time it finds the hole between third and short. That is what the BAPIP's number is all about. That's why they call it kind of a measure of a hitter's luck. Because one ball finds the shortstop, one ball finds the gap. There's not much difference between those two balls, right? So Straw flies around third. He comes in to score. Uh, then Jose Ramirez, this whole inning I told you was about hustle and speed. Jose Ramirez shoots a line drive in the left field. Uh, the left fielder, I believe, was a Seth Brown out there in left field, if uh, I remember the call correctly. Um, ye- yes, it was Seth Brown. Um, he tries to make a diving catch. He tries to lay out for one, and it's a big mistake. Now, you can't find, fault a guy for trying to make a great catch, but if he keeps the ball in front of him and just accepts a Jose Ramirez single, by the way, 104.1 mile per hour uh, exit velocity. It had a 760 expected batting average. So this thing was going to be a base hit. I don't want to take that away from Ramirez. But (laughs) Brown should have just, and he slid to the side. Like he dove to the side and tried to like, I don't know, slide on his hip and, and catch this ball. If he dives straight forward or even comes in sliding on his knees to try to get under this ball. At least he would have kept it in front of him. But just that's an absolute no-no as an outfielder sliding to the side like that, letting the ball hop past your glove. Uh, So it allows Rosario to score all the way from first. I know we talk about Stephen Kwan scoring all the way from first. We forget Rosario can do it too. And uh, especially on that when the outfielder lets the ball get past him. And I think, I think watching the highlight back, I think Rosario was smiling. They got a shot of him as he's approaching third base and turning towards home, I'm pretty sure he was looking at it left field and smiling and kind of laughing uh, that uh, he did that out in left field and let the ball get past him. So, yes, we tie the game. We finally do it in the seventh inning. Uh, you know, we can't uh, we can't get another run across. Uh, the bullpen does a great job of shutting down the A's, especially in the tenth inning, right? The top of the tenth inning, it's a ground out, it's a strikeout, and then a fly out. They cannot get that run home in the top of the tenth, and it's almost a gimme for the Guardians then in the bottom of the tenth with Jose Ramirez standing on second base. They intentionally walk Naylor. Uh, Freeman, I mean, it's a good sack bunt. Freeman, you know, he had pinch run, and it's almost lucky that Freeman had pinch run for Josh Bell after his leadoff single in the eighth, because he realized if Josh Bell is up in this situation, he's probably swinging away and not laying down a sack bunt. There's no way they're asking Josh Bell to sack bunt. So what changes? I mean, think about the butterfly effect of that. What changes if Josh Bell is up there in the 10th instead of Tyler Freeman? Does he strike out? Does he ground into a double play? Or does he hit a three-run home run? I you know, We don't know. I mean, that's the chaos of it, right? So Freeman up there lays down the sack bun. Ramirez beats the throw to third. They turn and throw to third, which was clearly the play that they had discussed. Ramirez didn't even see the throw coming. It's not even like Ramirez made a great base running play. He was actually slowing down a sec, you know, a, a tiny bit to make sure he didn't overrun the bag. They didn't slide. So I don't even think Ramirez realize what was happening until he was safe at third. And he's like, yeah, of course I'm safe at third. I'm Jose Ramirez. So, uh, you know, the Guardians uh, ride a little bit of luck there. Uh, I only say luck because Ramirez didn't seem like he was paying attention to the play. He was just getting to third base, assuming that throw was going first. And we load him up, and Andres Jimenez is single. 
down the right field line, 77.8 mile per hour exit velocity, but right down the right field line. This is not one of those walk-off situations where they're, they're playing the outfield really shallow because they know they have to make a throw home or, or anything like that. This is a 770 expected batting average. This is right down the right field line. This is a double, you know, 77% you know, of the time, I guess, according to the expected batting average. But I'm going to say 99% of the time, this location is a double into the right field corner. So Andres Jimenez with a good swing to walk it off. What a fun feeling that must have been. Uh, being up the plate, bases loaded, bottom of the 10th inning, knowing you can give your team a nice walk-off moment. If you just put the darn thing in place somewhere, just find some grass somewhere. It's outfield grass, preferably. Uh, and you can walk this thing off for your team. So uh, that's kind of what was going on with the offense tonight. Uh, those big hits. Against tougher teams, you're going to need a few more of those big hits. Two for 12 is not going to be enough to beat of all the AL East, uh, even the Minnesota Twins and some of the rivals in your division, two for 12 with runners in scoring position is not going to be enough. You got to find ways, especially in that first inning, to have more productive outs, move that runner over, and then, uh, you know, someone's got to come up with a big hit. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, Naylor, uh, there were moments on that road trip where Naylor was such an important cog in the middle of the lineup. He drove in a bunch of runs, had a bunch of hits. In this one, he goes cold. Uh, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Left a lot of guys on base himself. Uh, so, only had one hard hit ball, which is very un-Naylor-esque. Uh, Ahmed Rosario with four hard hit balls on the day. He had himself a good offensive day if it wasn't for not moving Quan over in the first inning. He went 3 for 5 on the day with an RBI and a run scored. But Naylor, it's such an important cog there in the four hole. Not to hit home runs to just drive guys in. And he's leading All-American League first baseman in RBI. So it's been working a lot. It just didn't work in this game. And the other thing is, uh, who was pitching for Oakland? So they go with an opener in uh, Waldachuk. Uh, then Med Medina comes in. Luis Medina comes in. Goes four and a third inning. So he's, he's kind of the starter of this game, even though they go with the opener. This is a guy that came into the game I think he was one and six coming into this game with like a plus seven ERA. And how many times this season has a guy with like a plus six, a plus seven, a plus eight ERA come in and face the Guardians and pitch great? Four and a third gives up four hits, one and run, one walk, four strikeouts. On 69 pitches, he's hard hit five times. That's a decent pitching performance from a guy who's got a plus seven ERA. We have to stop making bad pitchers look good. We've been doing it all season long. On our side, Savali pitched a very, very good game. Uh, you know, if you take away, you know, the Tony Kemp home run, Kemp went down and got one. Uh, I don't know how often he's hitting home runs from curveballs down there. I don't know how often Savali's giving up curveballs down there from the bottom of the strike zone. He goes six and two thirds, five hits, two earned runs, three walks, six strikeouts, and the home run given up on 100 pitches. He's only hard hit five times. That's a really good. It qualifies as a quality start, right? Six innings uh, or more, three runs or less. He goes six and two thirds with two runs, so it qualifies as a quality start. And then the bullpen was really great uh, finishing things off, right? Henches uh, go finishes off the seventh inning for Savali and then turns things over to Stefan to finish off the eighth. Classe pitches a nice ninth on only 12 pitches, really efficient there. And then De Los Santos 
uh, in that 10th inning. A real tough job with, uh, you know, that runner starting at second base to shut things down. Man, De Los Santos is having, I know there were a few rough patches there, uh, maybe in the, you know, in the month of June here, but he's been having such a good season. Uh, he's been so valuable out of that bullpen as another arm Francona can trust in pressure in high leverage situations, right? Because a hit in that 10th inning is going to move that win probability line pretty far. So that is definitely a high leverage situation the whole time with that runner at second base. I thought it was interesting, Savali's pitch mix. Uh, you know, this isn't something we talk about too often here. But when we go over to the uh, count breakdown page, we uh, not only can I see that Savali was working ahead a ton um, against these uh, Oakland A hitters, but it, I can also see what pitches he was throwing and what counts, which is interesting here. So, uh, I, I you know, on the phone, I don't think I can click the little uh, pie chart and tell you exactly how many hitters went 0-1 versus 1-0, but it looks like, based on the size of the circles, about twice as many guys started 0-1 than Savali did 1-0. and so we're definitely working ahead. Uh, it looks like maybe only three guys get to 2-0. Nobody makes it to 3-0. Uh, there weren't that many 1-1 or 2-1 counts, frankly. He was working down the left side, the 0-1 counts, the 0-2 counts, the 1-2 counts, most of the game. And he started the majority, maybe 66% of the hitters, he started with the cutter, with the cut fastball. And he was pounding the strike zone with that cut fastball. When he got ahead, that's when the curveballs came in. Uh, 0-1 counts, 0-2 counts, lots of curveballs in those situations. So uh, definitely, he did. You know, he used all his pitches, no matter what the count was. There, there are definitely moments where he used all his pitches, but just if he fell behind that 1-0 count, it looked like he was going to the cutter still to try to establish that first strike. And then if he got ahead, a lot of curveballs mixed in there some sinkers, uh, some sliders, but, uh, yeah, he, he kind of uses all his pitches, uh, very effectively. And, you know, Bo Naylor catching him, I, I'm guessing they probably had a couple of rehab starts together. Uh, so it wasn't too strange for Bo Naylor to be catching him. He probably caught him recently in some of those rehab starts. So he did throw the cutter the most, uh, 45 times on hundred pitches. I guess you can figure out that math. That's 45% of the time. Curveball 27 times. And then a few sinker sliders and just a few forcing fastballs mixed in there. Uh, the cutter was working for him. Uh, it had seven whiffs on 23 swings. It's a 30% whiff rate, 10 called strikes. It's a 38% CSW. Curveball had a 42% whiff rate. Uh, five whiffs on 12 swings plus five called strikes. It's good for 37% CSW on that pitch. So both of his top two pitches working very effectively. And it's a 32% CSW total on the day that is nice to see um good stuff from Aaron Savali and man with the youth movement uh that's going on in the Guardians rotation it's nice to see Savali uh have a good game like that so I mean frankly that's all my thoughts it's a pretty simple game here uh you know a few more timely hits from the Guardians and uh boy they really would have run away with this thing instead they make it difficult on themselves Andres Jimenez gets a nice moment in the 10th inning out of it, right? He gets a little highlight reel moment for his season, but it sure would have been fun to just kind of run away with this thing. I think they said that every game against the A's has come down to the final at bat this season, uh, which is crazy. Like <laughs> the A's are a terrible, terrible baseball team, and uh, they should not be making it this close against us. 
So uh, we'll see what the rest of the series holds if we can pull away from this thing. Uh, the other news we got to talk about is Gavin Williams from AAA is getting called up. He is going to be up here uh, and he's going to be pitching tomorrow. And it's just, it's the Guardians front office is great and maddening at the same time because they will spend months telling you, oh, guys got, you know, Bo Naylor is the perfect example. He's got to work on all these things still. We're still having him work on all these things. We're still, you know, we're being patient with him. And then one day, Later, and they're calling up two of their top prospects from the minor leagues to join the active roster. And not just spot starts and not just filling in on doubleheaders. These guys are here. Um, And uh, it's exciting. It's super exciting to have Gavin Williams up here. This is a guy that's towards the top of the top one, a lot of top 100 prospect list. He's currently ranked as our number one prospect, according to MLB. And uh, let's give you the scouting report on him. He's uh, a big right-handed pitcher, 6'6", 250. Uh, He was our first-round pick in 2021, 23 overall. His fastball grades out at 65. His curveball grade, remember, this is a 20 to 80 grading scale. Uh, For those of you who haven't heard me uh, read off one of these scouting reports before, so a 65 fastball is very good. 55 curveball, 55 slider, 55 changeup. His control is graded at a 50. Overall, he's graded at a 55. Uh, They say Williams pops 95 miles per hour with his fastball as a North Carolina high schooler and 100 miles per hour as an East Carolina freshman. But his development stalled and he went undrafted as a junior in 2020. He finally broke out as a senior, earning American Athletic Conference Pitcher of the Year honors and ranking fifth in NCAA Division I strikeouts per nine innings, 14.4. That has not changed since he joined the Guardian staff. Uh, before the Guardians drafted him, 23rd overall. Uh, oh, before he, he was the uh, ranked fifth before the Guardians drafted him. Um, uh, he advanced to double A while leading the minors in opponent average against 173, ranking third in ERA, 196, and a spectacular 2022 pro debut. Williams still stands out most with his fastball, which can sit at 94 to 97 miles per hour late into games and continues to reach triple digits. The biggest reason for his surge is that after years of struggling to spin the ball effectively, he has developed two solid breaking pitches with his tight mid-80s slider landing in the zone, missing bats more frequently than his upper 70s curveball with good shape and depth. He also has a solid mid-80s changeup with fade, though it can get too firm at times. Besides upgrading his breaking stuff, Williams also has dramatically improved his control after battling the strike zone in his first three college seasons. He cleaned up his delivery and began repeating it better in 2021, and that carried over into pro ball. So there you go. That is the scouting report MLB.com has on Gavin Williams, and he's been crushing it this season. Between Double uh, A and Triple A, he's got a 2.39 ERA. Remember, he started the season in Double A in Akron and moved up to Columbus very quickly. In 12 starts, uh, he's got 81 strikeouts to 24 walks. It's a 170 batting average against and a 0.98 whip so far this season for Gavin Williams. So he really has been crushing it so far. Um, just looking at, I want to look at the strikeout totals of his last 10 games. Uh, all right. Well, so far for June in three starts for Columbus, uh, nine strikeouts, five strikeouts and five strikeouts. So he's hit 10 strikeouts once this season. Uh, that was May 10th pitching for Columbus. So expect 
Expect another one of these Cleveland pitchers that's going after the strikeout. Uh, that should, you know, just like uh, Bybee and Allen did, should be able to rack up a decent amount of strikeouts early. I know the league has adjusted a little bit to those guys, but I am excited for Gavin Williams. All right, the last thing we got to do before we wrap this thing up, uh, I got one more email to get to. Marlon, thank you for your email. Uh, and then let's move on. Chris emailed in. Chris from New Jersey. We haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, he says, I'm continuing to enjoy the podcast. Keep up the great work. A question for you. Where are you on the trade Shane Bieber slash don't trade Shane Bieber fence at this season's deadline? On one hand, if McKenzie is out for an extended period of time, the team will be better off with Bieber in the fold to make a run at the playoffs, assuming they're still in contention in a few weeks. On the other, you're more likely to get more in return for him at the trade deadline than during the 2023-24 offseason with just one season remaining and there are some starting pitching depth in the organization. I'm interested in your thoughts. I hope this homestand gets off to a great start tonight against the A's. Uh, thank you, Chris from New Jersey, for your email. And you're asking me a tough question here. Like this is the question of the off se- of the season right now, heading into the trade deadline. Uh, I'm clearly we we could use a little pop still in the middle of the lineup. Uh, if if they could find a way to get a power bat and maybe have Brennan and uh, Straw split center field duties. That would be nice. Uh, power bat. I mean, there's nowhere in the infield for them to go, so it'd have to be right field if you'd be looking. Uh, but trading Shane Bieber. Now, they here's the thing. The American League, in League Central is the worst division in baseball, right? We are we're actually right on the heels of the Twins. Uh, I don't know if you checked the standings lately, but we're a game back of first place. They're 36 and 38. We're 34 and 38. So, I mean, we could very easily over this homestand, uh, climb up and take the lead in the American League Central. Will we still be an under 500 team? Yeah, we we could be. We can climb back and take the American League Central and still be an under 500 team. Do you feel like just winning the American League Central is good enough for you? Like, anybody who makes the playoffs, right? You know, once you get in the playoffs, it's a crapshoot. There's no guarantees. Even the Tampa Bay Rays with their 50-plus wins Leading Major League Baseball. And Les Levine used to say this all the time when I worked on his show. Give me the field in the playoffs. You take that team that's, you know, been running away with the regular season. I'll bet on the field to beat them in the playoffs. Because wacky things happen in the playoffs. Get, I'll never forget 97, right? We were not the best team in the American League. We weren't. And uh, we make it all the way to the World Series in 97. Not It wasn't even the best uh, Indians team of the 90s. By far. And they make it to the World Series. So. Get me to the playoffs, and a lot of magic can happen. But is that worth it to you? Like, to take that risk, to take that chance, uh, just getting to the playoffs. I mean, in a way, that's kind of the goal of the season, right? You got to get there to find out what's going to happen. So, uh, man, I feel like even though I know I know for the long-term health of the organization, the smart play would probably be to trade Shane Bieber at this trade deadline. But my heart still says I want to win baseball games. I want to hoist another division banner. I want to make it to the playoffs. I want to be among one of those elite teams uh, that gets to compete in October. And you never, I mean, this offense can get hot. This offense can drive other teams crazy. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, Just ask the Yankees how hard it was to get past the Guardians last year in the playoffs. 
I want to see Progressive Field rocking. I want to see the city of Cleveland excited about baseball. And that means a playoff run. So my heart says we got to hang on to Shane Bieber. You need him to guide all these young pitchers. My brain is saying they have some serious, serious pitching depth in this organization. So if you can get into a situation, and I don't even want what we got for Mike Clevenger, right? I, I don't even need that kind of collection of players. I don't need the right-handed power bat. I don't need the right-handed power bat, the right field power bat coming in the Shane Bieber trade. What I would need, well, I mean, what would blow me away is if someone gave you three of their like top 10 prospects, guys that are at the upper levels and, and not preferably not middle infielders, because I think we've got enough of those, but maybe another catching prospect to add in there with Bo Naylor. It takes two these days. Maybe a power bat in the outfield that's coming up through the minor league system and another, you know, starting pitcher that Cleveland can mold into a strikeout machine. You might be able to, you know, you might be able to blow me away with a trade offer. If it was something like that, you you might, you might hook my, you know, like I said, my brain is leaning that way. My heart's leaning the other way. My brain might win that fight if you really blew me away with a trade offer. So that's where I am on the whole trade chain Bieber thing. I guess my answer, if you had, if you, you know, if you had to make me decide today, I would say, Ooh, I kind of want to hold on to him and see how many games I can win and see if I can win this really weak American League Central and take that easy path to the playoffs, which I'm sure a lot of teams would love to have. A lot of franchises would love that easy path to the playoffs. Uh, so, yeah, God, if you force me to decide, I'd say let's try to take advantage of it and win this division. All right, but I thank you, Chris, because that, that is a pickle. That is quite the pickle you asked there. So thank you, Chris in New Jersey. Anybody else that wants to get in on this question, hit us up at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know how all the morning people feel about this question, because I know you've all thought about it. Where does everybody stand on trade Shane Bieber? Do not trade Shane Bieber at this deadline. All right, that is all my thoughts. MVP on the day. We cannot forget to do that. Uh, let me jump back to the box score here. It's tough because there are little moments. There were some defensive moments too. Jose Ramirez made some great plays at third base, snagging a line drive, wicked backhand hop, and he throws out a runner late in the game. Let's not take anything away from Tony Kemp either. He made some fantastic, uh, plays. I went to see if Tony Kemp is one of these guys that just absolutely kills the guardians. And, uh, cause it feels like it, doesn't it feel like every time we face Tony Kemp, it's like, oh my God, this guy is driving us crazy. Well, he's he's pretty good against us. He's a 281 hitter uh, with a 779 OPS. He has three home runs against us. I'm guessing this is an updated, so it's probably up to four home runs against us, which is high up there in his career against an opponent. Uh, it's not the you know the team that he beats up on the most. That'd be the Chicago White Sox and uh, and frankly the Oakland Athletics uh, when he was playing. When he playing Houston for a while. Against the White Sox, he's got a 921 OPS uh, in uh, uh, 18 in 23 games played against him. I'm going to discount the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's only 10 games, three starts. He's got a 957 OPS against them. But the Guardians are in his 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, top 8 OPSs against. So, uh, yeah, Tony Kemp plays pretty well against us. But he had a spectacular over-the-shoulder catch. I cannot take anything away. From that catch. It was a fantastic play. But, uh, you know, I think I got to go with Jose Ramirez for MVP on the day. Uh, You know, a lot of guys had those doubles. A lot of guys had big moments. 
Uh, maybe it's Eniel De Los Santos for just holding it down in that 10th inning. It's setting us up for an easy victory in the bottom of the 10th. But Ramirez does have the hit that ties the game up. Uh, you know, he scores a run himself uh, he, as the pinch runner in the 10th inning. Although it does, you know, he didn't really do much in that situation. But hey, he does make it the third and keep that inning going and get the third base. Even though he didn't realize it, he still got there. So I'm going with Jose Ramirez as MVP on the day. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final, it's your guards three, the athletics two. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, Mornings at gmail.com. That's all my thoughts. Let's wrap this up. And thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.